And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Aragon MotoGP for 2022 will be remembered for some time in Grand Prix folklore as the turnaround race for the title hunt. Championship leader Fabio Quattararo was knocked off on the first lap and his arch rivals all finished on the podium for a huge haul of points. With Ennio Bastianini winning and Peko Bagnaia second, that means that in just five Grand Prix, Bagnaia has turned around a 91-point deficit to just 10, with a fight back that's never been seen before in the 20-year history of MotoGP racing. Bastianini is now an outsider for the title with five races to go, and 125 points still on the table. But Alicia Spargaro, who finished third at Aragon, is now just 17 points back of Quattararo's championship lead. This really is going to be a showdown over these remaining races, the first of which is this weekend in Japan. Talk about a tight schedule. All of this rather overshadowed the fact that Marc Marquez was back on a Grand Prix motorcycle after 14 weeks but he retired on the first lap following a rather hairy opening few corners. But more on that later. You join myself, Toby Moody, with Simon Patterson and Valentin Harunchi. We're going to talk all things Aragon 2022 here. Simon, you were in the press office. I know the atmosphere in that press office. I bet the roof came off it during that first opening lap. It was, yeah, well, it's just one of those things where suddenly everyone's shouting and screaming. Uh, like the response in the media center is exactly the response that is watching on your sofa, except there's, you know, 200 of us. And um, bo- both the first lap and the last lap actually got a pretty similar response in this race. Um, people didn't know what to make of it. My initial thought, actually, whenever I saw the Nakagami crash, I thought initially we were watching an instant replay of the first incident with Mark and uh, with Marquez and Quadraro, it was just a, such a mess for those that that space of time between the middle of turn four and the exit of turn seven. Val, what did you think when you saw it? Well, I don't know. It's it's a really really surreal experience in a way. Just all like both the first lap and the last lap. For me, obviously. You know, the first lap, that kind of thing happens. The last lap, I was more surprised by because that that part was a lot more preventable by Ducati Chiefs, which we will get to. So, yeah, that was, it, was just, it, it is a race that the more you think about, the harder it is to really know what you made of it, I think. For me, I cannot believe that Ducati don't have team orders right now. Bastianini is a factory Ducati rider next year. And arguably, he's taking points away from Bagnaia for this challenge to win in 2022 against Quattararo. Obviously, Bastianini has got the talent. He's now won four Grand Prix just this year alone. But he will have his day on the works bike in 23 and 24. The risk for the pair of them to have gone down the road during those last laps was, for me, a little bit too great and maybe too great for the big bosses at Ducati, who have only won one title in 20 years, the great and mighty Ducati with all of the budget that they've had. I'm sure Claudio Domenicali watching that race yesterday, well, what little hair he's still got is now on his sitting room floor because as a team, you've got to do everything within your power to win. But arguably, Simon Val, on current form, Bagnaia won't need team orders to help him win the title, but you just never know because for me, it's just one of those odd years. Yeah, I, you can't take that risk, I think. But just, you know, in a wider perspective and just not to come off as this extremely boring and dull analytical team order advocate. Last year, I watched the German Touring Car Championship final race and I watched one of the contenders get eliminated and then Mercedes basically wave like 
15 customer cars out of the way of its main of its another customer car to ensure that customer car wins the title and that sucked it was awful to watch it was absolute crap completely didn't feel very sporting didn't feel didn't feel like a rightful conclusion to the season team orders they're really easy to hate they are really easy to hate but it's always a trade-off of how bad you look versus how much you gain in Ducati's case Ducati would have looked fine if it told an Abastinini to stay put and the thing is that was not gonna have to be something you improvised in the race because every single person who watched Misano who watched any race this season who followed practice who followed qualifying knew where this was going every single person knew that the likelihood was that Cobanyai was going to lead the first 15 laps and then an Abastinini was going to come through late in the race because that's what he does Everybody knew that. I mean, maybe Jack Miller was going to be in the mix running as rear gunner. Maybe somehow Fabio would have fought through or Leish. But the likelihood was that this was going to be your situation again. And the fact that there was no interest in a contingency plan for that, or I guess the contingency plan was just go at it, surprises me a lot. And I, if I ran the county, obviously... I would not do this. I would talk to them on Sunday morning. I would go, here's the likely, here's how the race is likely to pan out. And Aya, if there's a buffer behind you and you, you're you behind Peko, you've won three races this year, you're gonna be in factory red next year. Just sit back, sit behind them. It's not even the five points. Five points is a lot. It could be a lot because ultimately Quartararo would probably feel a lot worse with a five-point lead than a 10-point lead, you know, the optics, etc. But the title, I think, is probably not going to be decided by five points, although who the hell knows. But it's... He could have fallen. He could have fallen under pressure. You put him... You add the extra unnecessary risk of trying to get him to buckle when he's pushing super hard because he knows that the guy behind doesn't have his back. And that's not on Bastianini because if you're Bastianini and you're not told to hang back... Obviously, you go for the win, but it's just, it's the risk. Why? I I don't really get it, and I know it, it made for a better race. So thanks for that. But it's you've not won a rider's title since two thousand seven, don't you? Don't you want this? I I it doesn't surprise me at all that there was no Ducati team orders, and it's not because it, because I think that Ducati are like altruistic or anything like that. I think it is just incredibly indicative of the entire Ducati approach to MotoGP. They don't know what they want. They This is their strategy. It's like a scattergun strategy of support everyone, let everyone win, have eight bikes on the grid, have four different people who can win races, have every one of their riders on the podium or pole position this season. They're just all over the place. And there needs to be a decisive coherent strategy that's top down that says this is the pecking order and this is how things are going to be that isn't something that needs to be laid out halfway through a season when one of your riders is suddenly starting to come back into championship contention either that is something that needs to be laid down before the first race with all eight riders and all 14 bosses in a room together being told this is how it's going to be this year because otherwise what's the point What's the point mm-hmm. in putting all of this effort into trying to win championships whenever then l- your own worst enemy, quite literally, is yourself? Because that's what we're saying here. I mean, team orders don't have to be obvious. Val, that DTM thing last year was a bit of a stinker. The Rubens Barrichello, Michael Schumacher, Austria, Ferrari thing, phew, 20 years ago now, that was a bit of a stinker, and the crowd told them as such. But it doesn't exactly need to be a after you, Claude, at the final corner and pull over and make it hugely obvious. But when there's a 50 million euro budget being spent per year in a factory team, they're going to have to be careful, as Simon touched on, to be playing around with personal pride rather than a corporate victory. Um, I I don't think we've lit the blue touch paper. Ultimately, I think, honestly, if I'm... If I'm one of the, if I'm one of the designers of that bike, I'm incandescent. Like as a, you know, as a normal viewer who has no, you know, no stake in the game, it's it's fairer to have Banyaya ten points behind Fabio than five because Fabio did not deserve what happened to him, 
at Aragon. He deserves to have more of a lead than he does right now. But as a Ducati, like, they're obviously not maximizing it. And I, I think I heard an interview with, I want to say, Paolo Ciabatti after the race, I think, where he sort of indicated, we'll see about team orders in, in, in the next few races. Either do them or don't. What is this? Come on. Like, wh- why not now? What, what's changed? What's the vibe in the press office about this, Sam? Honestly, everyone's surprised they're not doing it. Oh, okay. There's, there's not. Uh, it's not like the media center are saying, "Oh, well done, Ducati, and being honourable and not having team orders." And it, you know, it's like you say, it doesn't have to be obvious. Mm. The, the, the solution for me on Sunday would have been quite simply an instruction to Enea Bastianini. We know that he's been given an instruction saying, "Don't do anything stupid." And he didn't do anything stupid. He pulled off a clean, well-calculated, like a real thinking man's overtake that was. Um, but for me, the, the the clear instruction would have been, look, if you find yourself in P2 behind Peko Bagnaya, you do not come within half a second of him. That would be the clear instruction. Because like you say, Val, it's whenever people are put under pressure that mistakes happen, big mistakes happen. It doesn't necessarily have to be a mistake made by Enea Bastianini to cause Peko Bagnaia to lose 20 or 25 points. Yeah. Um, l- l- let's be frank here. We've seen Peko Bagnaia be more than capable of making his own mistakes when he's put under pressure in the past. Yeah. And Ducati have to know that. They have to know that there is a little bit of risk of him folding because he's done it before. I like to think, though, that he's put that to bed. But I, I know I what you're saying. Too. I do too. But you can't take that risk whenever you've spent 15 years and probably... What are we talking 50 million euros times 15 to try and win this championship? A lot of money. You can't do that. And I mean, it's it's not even about his like past record of errors. It's just you put any rider under such pressure, they might buckle. That's yeah. It's a last lap fight for the win. People people fall off when that happens. Lamar Rossi Vinales, you know, it obviously happens. Um, I'm just I'm really surprised that Peko publicly has basically not said anything about it, has not showed any discontent about how this is being handled. I'd really like to know what his stance is in private, but in public, he really has not shown that it's bothered him even a little bit. And I take my hats off to him for that. It's re- It really is to his credit. Yeah. But I just imagine, let's go to like 2017 or something. Imagine a low grip race in whatever, whatever track, whatever town. Let's say it's a close fight between Marquez and Dovicioso. Let's say Marquez is winning, but Cal is second. It's a low and Cal is closing in. Is Honda gonna? Can you imagine Honda not doing anything in that regard? Can you imagine? Well, H- but then the other thing, and this is the difference in situations, Honda wouldn't have had to. Yeah, because Crutchlow was arguably more of a team player yeah. than Bastianini is right now. But yeah, but it's not like you ha- you have to like okay. You don't have to t- tell Jack Miller not to pass Pecco. Jack seems to know. because Also because the long long run race pace for Pecco is just always better. So it's just going to be reversed in a few laps. But you have to tell your riders what you want of them. Otherwise, they're going to do what's the best for them. And you, they cannot be blamed. Uh, just on a quick calculation. Um, I reckon by my... By my maths, um, so obviously some money has come back in by sponsorship, but Ducati have probably spent the guts of three quarters of a billion euros trying to win a championship since their last one. That's a billion dollars trying to win a championship. And they're potentially going to throw it away because they're afraid to hurt any of Astinini's feelings. Come on, guys. That skunk works budget, that is. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's like, yeah, build a nuclear submarine that's money. huge. Yeah. 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 And they're going to throw away that because they won't tell him Potentially, to, to do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. As, as, I, as I said it, earlier, as a team, when you're in a team, and I'm in a team in another form of motorsport at the moment, you do everything you can before the flag drops to have an advantage. And even if you're an amateur racer at Mallory Park or you're an amateur racer at Eastern Creek, or Laguna Seca, but this is this is business. This is huge stuff. You cannot mess about. And Simon's numbers there, are, I you, you can't get your head around them. In fact, you can't get your head around them. And and again, like the, the weirdest and I would say most downing, if you want to say that that way, thing is, again, we could we could tell how this race was going to play out. 
this does not surprise anybody because we've seen this exact thing before. Yeah. Which, you know, to change the topic a little bit, is to Anaya Bastianini's massive credit. Incredible. It is incredible how routine it is now that, you know, just come the last five laps, he kicks all sort of butt. He is the best rider on the grid in the last laps. That's that's when the points are awarded. He can win the championship next year. Yeah, correct. So Bastianini at the moment, with 125 points still on the table, is 48 back of the championship leader, Quattararo. Does he have a bit of a vibe that he can do this? No, not really. He, he says it's it's far, it's clear from his rhetoric that it's far-fetched, and he's right. It is far-fetched. Uh, obviously, 125 available, 48 up for, or 45 up for grabs, but it's, with three riders ahead, the math just doesn't really work unless something goes super weird. But we saw that yesterday as well. No, but it would have to go you super weird. Three no, no, no. I mean, I mean, someone else's accident with no, I, I know Mark, yeah. Tucker... Yeah. yeah, you're not wrong, but it, I, arguably it, it almost happened in Assen. Yeah, yeah. If Felicia Spagaro's bike had been a little bit more damaged, but it yeah. it would it would take several races of things going really really weird, and yeah. or it would take one race of things going really weird, and then NA winning all five, which is yeah, it's a, and that's not going to happen. Yeah, that's not going because that that advantage that he has won't be as powerful at places like Phillip Island. Yeah. There will be circuits coming up where it isn't as big an advantage as it is at Aragon. And also there are circuits coming up that he just doesn't know on a MotoGP bike. Well, th- that's it. There's three in a row coming up now. Yeah. A- and let's not forget, he has also crashed four times this season. He's not Mr. Consistency. Very yeah. true. Very true. Is, with Bastianini, an element of Carlo Panat, his legendary manager, who has been around the paddock for 40 years. He ran a Prilieri Manage Caparossi. He's a. I think he's a. He's a dude. But I wouldn't want to do a deal with him. Um, I think he's great company. But I wouldn't want to do a deal with him. Um, is that 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 element of a wolfish smile? But actually, I'll have you. Can you imagine anyone in Ducati, Gigi Deligna, Paolo Zabate, Davide Tardazzi coming to Pernat to give him the team order speech? <laughs> He'd be laughed out of the room because that's not Pranat's way of doing things. He is an animal. And his baggy shirt and his <laughs> exactly. Rolex dripping yeah, off his wrist. And a, and a, Fantastic. And a, and a cigarette hanging out of his fingers. And Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> that would be... Um, and I think there is definitely, there's a bit of that. I don't know if it's rubbed off in Bastianini or if Bastianini has found a manager who fits his personality quite well because we didn't really know... Bastianini before he was under Pernat's wing so it's kind of hard to work out if it's a good combination or one influence in the other but they're they're quite similar there's that kind of roguish good humored charm but you'd count your fingers after shaking hands with them yeah it makes me think that Ducati should have waited until the last round to announce who's gonna go to the factory bike next to Bagnai even though right now the it's clear I think they made the right choice but yeah but yeah and, and can you, like, what happens if we're in a situation now where um, it's not unreasonable to suggest that this championship will be lost by Ducati by four points, the four or five points that, that Enea cost them yesterday, and then we go into next season and he wins the opening three races and, and Pagnaia's head falls off. Like, it's, yeah. it's more Ducati bad people management. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see. If, if ultimately if Banyaya wins by by forty points in the end, all of this will be purely academic. But right now, if 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 he wins by forty points, I will eat someone's okay. hat. <laughs> he might win the championship, but it'll no, be I, forty I points. You know, I don't have a hat. Hope you do. I do, and you don't want to eat mine, Simon. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. 
Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Fabio Quattararo was the reigning world champion and the championship leader came out of Aragon. Well, he didn't even do the first lap terrifying crash. Mark Marquez was in front of him. He had a wobble. Mark rolled off the throttle just momentarily, stopped the acceleration. Quateraro was still accelerating and went straight up the back of Mark's Repsol Honda. It was a racing incident. Uh, he's lucky he kind of got away with it with Mategi this weekend. I mean, they're back on a bike in just five days' time. It's mind-bending what they've got to do. Uh, but Simon, it wasn't the only crash he had. Now, this is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so shortly after all the chaos that everyone saw on TV erupted, I got a text message from one of our photographers who was trackside to say, Fabio has crashed on the Marshall scooter. And I thought, okay. Uh, and then we started getting a bit more information. And my initial thought was, so about... Once every four or five rounds, a photographer comes into the media center looking a bit worse for wear because they've been banging around on a scooter in a service road. They've hit a patch of gravel, front is washed out, and they've scraped themselves and maybe dented a camera. And I, my first thought was, okay, it's something like that. It won't be, you know, it won't be a big thing. Then we started getting more information. And so when we spoke to Fabio Quattararo, the way he described it was he said they were going fast. And he, he made a real point of like, we were going fast. We were going really fast. This is like, a MotoGP rider talking made a point. Here. This is a MotoGP rider saying like, we were, we were moving. Whatever happened, it seems like one of the Moto3 teams had someone out trackside spectating and they head on collisioned to, into this other scooter. And you know, Fabio's, Fabio's straight up said, if I had, if I'd taken my helmet off and had been hanging it around my arm, we would be in trouble. We would like we would have had an issue. It seems like the the marshal. Um, we haven't got a condition update on him, but he needed medical treatment. He went to the medical center in a stretcher. Um, it was a high speed shunt. Whatever happened, and it it doesn't rain but it pours with Fabio Quattararo. This is the second time this season, only the second time this season, he's DNF'd, and both times he's DNF'd, he's managed to crash twice. Because let's not forget, an ass and he rejoined, the traction control was broken and he launched himself to the moon. Um, fortunately, he didn't have any, uh, he didn't get any more injured from the scooter crash. Um, and he goes into Mategi pretty battered and bruised, uh, but, but thankfully nothing that's going to impact him too badly. Um, he says he's got a big bruise in his hip, but in three days time, he knows that the bruise will be yellow and, and it'll be fine. And he's got quite a bit of abrasions on his chest um, from essentially getting run over by a motorbike, flipping over and then sliding along the ground at 100 mile an hour and, and yeah, rubbing himself quite raw on his chest. Not ideal by any stretch of the imagination. Holy smoke. Well, that uh, something needs to change. And um, I've seen it in, in, in other forms of motorsport, like track days, when amateurs drive a professional driver around a circuit and you can drive at half the speed but the professional driver be 
twice as terrified as the speed that he can do. Um, it's just the capability. Something's going to change there, I hope. Multiple riders, sensible riders afterwards were like, yeah, that's not a surprise. Like they, they were like, yeah, no, that was something that was a matter of time waiting to happen. Um, and I, I don't think that's any, that's not something specific to the Aragon marshals. Um, you know, but we, we regularly see guys going very fast on scooters, on rough gravel roads. You know, th there's a reason that, um, in BSB where there's much less service roads and much more sort of picking your way around the circuits that they use, uh, Yamaha Teneres adventure bikes to bring back, uh, crashed riders. Cause there's a bit, they're a bit more capable and a bit less likely to do this. Um, it yeah there will have to be i would imagine there will be the first thing we'll see is less people allowed in the service roads from now on the next thing we will see is a restriction to if you're a moto 3 team you're only allowed on during a moto 3 race and so on uh, and hopefully we, we maybe see some sort of a standard introduced for martial recovery, you know, for bikes, for riding standards for particularly for Quattararo, what's the rush in getting him back it wasn't as if there was a red flag and he could jump on the spare bike because the race hadn't happened. It was red flagged on the first lap. But, uh, yeah, what what's he like in his state of mind? Because the pressure's on. Yeah. And he's not cracking. Um, I have to say, I've, I've seen, you know, we've dealt with Fabio Quattararo while he's kind of falling apart mentally a little bit and going from second to eighth in the championship standings in the course of a few weeks. And that's not the guy that was there yesterday. Um, we had someone who I think expected this to be a bad weekend, obviously didn't expect it to be this bad, but knew it was going to be tough one way or another and came into this weekend with the mentality of just getting through it. And I think that helped yesterday afternoon because then it meant that, that, you know, he was kind of, it would have been different if he'd had pace for the win. Uh, but he, he just, it wasn't going to happen yesterday. He knew that before he even arrived here. He knows that he goes from here to circuits that he has an advantage at. Uh, you know, multiple people have kind of pointed out that uh, his arguably his greatest races in MotoGP, those series of battles at the end of 2019 with Mark Marquez, a lot of them came in, in venues like Buriram um, as a rookie and Mategi as a rookie. Um, so going back there now with that experience against guys who don't know those tracks anywhere near as well as him, um, you know, quite a few of the riders in our grid have never raced these circuits in a MotoGP bike. And we're not talking uh, Darren Binder and that. We're not talking the 2022 rookies. We're talking like the 2020 rookies have never raced these tracks. So um, I think he knows that he still has an advantage. He knows that he still has a points lead. And I think there's probably a part of him that's thinking the fact that Alicia Spagaro also closed down is actually a benefit, not a bad thing. I think it, it, he'd be in a different position if he thought it was a straight fight against Bagnaya. And the fact that there's a third person in there is maybe taking some pressure off. And distracting Bagnaya. It's just another element to consider. Uh, and that works in his advantage at the minute while he's still in the lead. But I, you know, I, my, my guess is maybe a little bit different is that there's probably a feeling that he's playing with, I think I've said it before, but he's playing with house money and that the bike's just not as good as the Ducati and there's only so much you can do. And when something like what happened on Sunday happens, all you can do is just laugh and dust yourself off and go again. Nothing you could have done differently. He was running close behind Mark. It's maybe a little bit too close, but it's something you have to do when you're on a Yamaha. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck and your race is going to be your race is going to be effectively done. Um, he had a good pace, had really good pace on Saturday, uh, as he always does. But at Aragon, I guess it's a little bit more meaningful because you don't really expect... You expect Fabio to be stronger over one lap than over race pace at Aragon. And he, he had really, really good pace, but it doesn't really matter when there's five Ducatis ahead because you can't pass him. Um, he took some encouragement in that, but I think it's just getting this out of the way and seeing, as you said, seeing what he can do on those tracks that will be fresher for a lot more people and that he has proven he can go super well at. And obviously not just the Mategi Buriram duo where he fought Mark, but also Phillip Island should be really good, for instance. But yeah, there's only 
like if he rocks up to those tracks and it's again 15 Ducatis ahead of him in qualifying, it doesn't really matter what happened at Aragon. No chance. But if, you know, if, if the Yamaha is anywhere near as good there as it was back in 2019 or whatever, then Aragon might not matter other, either way, but just for a different reason, because he'll be able to get his advantage back. Well, Quattararo obviously went up the back of Mark Marquez on that opening opening lap. Uh, Mark was uh, likewise lucky, likewise lucky because he had a bit of the bodywork from Quattararo jammed under his seat. It was all into the swing arm. It was a mess. Um, it was an unfortunate racing accident, but arguably the second accident that happened with Mark and Taka Nakagami was more fright was 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 more scary from my point of view because you know some of the big horrible accidents that we've seen in MotoGP over the last 15 years have been people falling off surviving the falling off but then something terrible happening so it was uh, it was a close one what did mark have to say afterwards simon val um take it away um so essentially mark I admitted that the first one was a mistake, that the, the incident with Quattararo was his own mistake. I think perhaps there was an element of race rustiness there because it was a bit of a rookie error. Cold tire, dirty part of the track, too much gas, had to back it off. It's it's That's not a Mark Marquez mistake. There are Mark Marquez... Isn't it? I wouldn't say so. There are mistakes we see him make, I think- but... Since comeback, since comeback, we've seen a fair few times, I think, Mark go absolutely gung-ho, hell for leather on the opening couple of laps. True. Before, because he, he probably, there's a knowledge that this is the only time in the race that he can really make an impact. Because of his fitness, the rest of the race will be going back. I think that was actually quite expected. And it's, it's part, of par, part and parcel with, he was excellent through turn one fantastic just absolutely majestic yeah, from p13 <laughs> i think to p6 around the outside uh, in the toe of brad binder who brilliant i'd quite like to talk about later yeah, i was about to say the second best start of the race yeah yeah but yeah no i think i think it was it's quite expected in in a sense i wouldn't say it's a non-mark mistake i would say it's this version of mark that isn't really fighting for points right now so he just just goes Goes when he can. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, and then the, the second one was was yeah a consequence. There's an onboard shot from someone's camera, forward facing camera of basically a giant chunk of Yamaha fairing stuck in the back of his bike. Yeah. Whole shot device came down. That fairing piece got pushed onto the back tire. And to be perfectly honest, he's lucky. Uh, Takanakigama is exceptionally lucky and it's testament to the reflexes of MotoGP riders that no one hit him as they yeah. all tried to duck and dodge around him um, but it, it's also uh, Marquez is lucky that he even got back to the pits without that tire going pop um, yeah. if you know if there was something sort of wedged into it like that it could have been so much worse um, yeah. and when Banyaya came around on lap two he said that all the muck and bullets and carbon fiber was all over the track and of course he was the first on the scene arriving there at flat chat and he was like couldn't you have red flagged it uh i thought they were going to red flag it for a moment there's a few people said but, that um in the end they didn't now ultimately debris feels to me like a pretty good reason mm. even if you think you can get the 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 riders and bikes out of the way there was there's a load of crap being shed onto the track by certainly by Marcus's Honda. Nah, what can you do? But you know, the, the, in the race previously, uh, Alonso Lopez crashed, dumped his bike almost on the racing line on the edge of the circuit. Then there was another crash in the same corner that the marshals ran to clear first. The Moto Two pack came through uh, on the next lap, and Alonso and his bike were still standing at the side of the track, like a meter from the from the racing line and there was no red flag so it, it just you cannot assume there will ever be a red flag in MotoGP at the minute unfortunately it's been misplaced somewhere and they're probably they're looking for it every weekend but it's just you just can't find it eh? like it, it's somewhere in the big freight boxes but it's like really low down and you just never get to it 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As we mentioned a moment ago, the second best start was from KTM's Brad Binder. Uh, he had his second best finish of the season after his second place that he had at the opening round in Qatar. He came home in fourth, come the flag. Um, they do go well at Aragon, though. Yeah, they do. But also, Brad Binder goes well this season. He's really good. Uh, Aleish, after the race, after beating Brad, called him the one of the top three riders in MotoGP. I'd, I'd really like to know who the other two are in that top three. Like, is it? I would imagine Aleish and Fabio. Yeah. What about? But uh, Aleish also said that Pecco is doing better than both of them right now. So Pecco. Yeah, but also I think I think I think that he probably attributes quite a bit of that to the red bike that Pecco's yeah. on. Yeah. Um, we could discuss the top three for quite a bit. We know I that think, we know that one of Alicia's top three is definitely Alish. I think like modesty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, in any case, I can tell you what I, I can. I think I can pretty much guarantee you, depending on what happens in the final few races. So if if the season ends as it's been going, we do the top ten. Brad's going to be top five in mine, fairly certainly. He's been having a really good season. He's, he's just gotten a lot better while the RC16 has gotten competitively worse. He's now, he's basically broken the resistance of Miguel Oliveira. The, the last season, 2021, there were plenty of weekends where even though on the whole, you'd say Brad had an advantage, but there were plenty of weekends where Miguel could really respond and really shine. And Miguel could also make the most of the RC16 when it was at its strongest. That's not really happening this year. This year... The one outlier was the Miguel win in which uh, Binder's right hand device got stuck, I believe. So it's not really a fair comparison. And the rest of it, for the most part, Brad's had a little bit something extra in qualifying and has always been there to pretty much maximize some days. He's been really good. He was hurt this weekend. He got hurt in Saturday morning practice, uh, his ankle. Uh, he went to the medical center I, a bunch, I believe. He was on painkillers on Saturday, then I'm not sure on Sunday if he used them much because I think his body didn't respond too well to them. Um, and he just, it didn't seem to matter too much because he nearly hauled that bike onto the podium. Um, ran out of tire late on, so Aleish could bounce. But it's just, it's a really good showing. And it's, I remember seeing that Brad Binder was extended through 2024 by KTM and thinking, Why'd you do that? And that was like with, that was like a year ago, was it? A little bit more than a year ago, I think a maybe. Bit more, yeah. Didn't make a lot of sense to me because it's just you're just taking one seat out of the question right away for you know, and you're gonna have some interested other parties. So it's like just locking yourself out of options. Right now, it looks really good because. But he's KTM royalty, Val. He's KTM royalty because he won their first race, and they will stick with him. And at the time, he was the best option. But don't underestimate that KTM royalty because he won that first race in Brno. At the time, you didn't have to do anything. Yeah. He was the best option, but you did not have to do anything. No, they could have given him a two-year deal and it would have, he would have been still happy. Yeah. yeah. That's, the, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, um, but they were right because I think he's gone cheaper than he would have gone now. And I honestly, they could have maybe even lost him somehow. Probably not because, again, it's just a KTM lifer probably. But no, you don't think so? Repsol Honda. Mm. I think Repsol Honda would have come hard. And you, you can hear it in what he says, that he, he's not very content with, with where the RC16 is. I think he's entered that point in his MotoGP career where the realization came that, mm, you know, I might be better than this already. I might, maybe I may, should be fighting out there for wins and podiums every weekend. And he would have a point in saying that. I threw it to him yesterday afternoon what Aleish had said, which was essentially that Brad Binder is one of the top three riders in MotoGP being let down by a bad bike. 
And and uh, he was like, well, you know, obviously it's really nice for Leish to say that. And then went on to detail all the ways in which his bike is worse than everyone else's, which is quite like, oh, yeah, <laughs> he's not beating around the bush here. He's, he's very much in favor of that uh, comparison. Yeah, the, the way that I think there's a little bit of motivational issues maybe at the other KTMs at the minute. Um, I don't know if Miguel Oliveira's, you know, really fighting every weekend the way he would have been if, when he was still trying to get a contract out of them. But but I think the gap's the same as it was when he was trying well, to get a contract. Well, yeah, that's so, true, yeah. The, the other, the Tech 3s, yeah. The Tech 3s are right. Yeah. Well, I, no, I don't think with Remy. I think Remy is still, I think Remy has a point to prove before he leaves here. I think the fact that Fernandez is staying next year means that he maybe doesn't have the same point to prove, but I think Gardner is still trying to prove something. But, um, you know, I, I think what eventually cost Bender any chance of a podium on Sunday was the crash, um, was the fact that he, uh, you know, uh, Miller, who had the, the sort of the the golden seat to watch the battle between Espargaro and, uh, and Bender said he could see him fading with three laps to go. And he assumed that that was the pain level rising. Um, yep. I overheard Bender talking to Dr. Chartra on Saturday afternoon and was saying like the injection you gave me was amazing. I felt nothing at all in my ankle. Uh, but then he woke up on Sunday morning and described the, the basically a hangover from the painkillers um, so I think he went a different route for, for Sunday's race and it just, he just started to feel it a little bit at the end. Nearly on track, but in the pit lane was the most bizarre of incidents that happened on Saturday afternoon at the end of Moto3 qualifying. Um, the Max Biaggi sterile Garda mechanics made their way up pit lane to get in the way of one of the Red Bull KTM bikes and almost flick the switch, almost kill the kill the switch. You will every anybody who's a petrol head, MotoGP head, will have seen it on social media. And no matter how many times Simon you look at it, you still can't believe it, can you? I, I so they did actually achieve their aims. Um, they didn't go for the kills. They were going for the kill switch, I think, but they ended up catching the front brake, uh, which was enough to stall the bike. So it did actually achieve the purpose because they had to roll the bike back into the garage and put it back onto the starter motor. And he missed his qualifying slot. And he missed his qualifying lap because, yeah. Um, I went and spoke to uh, Max Biaggi afterwards. And I've seen Max Biaggi. We've all seen Max Biaggi angry. And it's very Italian. And there's lots of arm waving and shouting and screaming. And, you know, very stereotypical. Uh, When I went to see him on Saturday afternoon, he was white with quiet rage it was a completely different max biagi anger he was furious about what they'd done i went and spoke to hervey poncherel hervey was actually much more magnanimous um he said that he didn't want a huge penalty handed down but he wanted the whole world to see what had happened so that it never happens again um which i think he has probably achieved um but i've never seen anything like it I've never seen anything like it. It looks terrible. It. Someone sent me a link earlier to a CNN article about it. It's gone fully mainstream. And to make matters even worse, from what I understand, there was then fisticuffs in the paddock afterwards between the Fernandez family and the, the Max Racing team. And someone may have, from what I heard, ended up in a hospital in an A&E because they got smacked in the face. And just, it's just terrible terrible optics for the sport it's it's almost comparable with the Fanati incident in terms of the optics i mean coverage in cnn not not entirely yeah. a good thing i know shame somebody somebody's qualifying got ruined somebody got really sad and somebody seemingly got punched in the face i just i really love the the championship implications of it given where adrian fernandez and uh Max's rider Ayumu Sasaki are in the in the championship. It's the same as uh, I don't know uh, Peko Bagnaia's crew running down pit lane and kicking Fabio Di Gianantonio's bike. <laughs> like okay, it's actually a fair comparison considering that same family. both Fernandez yeah, yeah. and uh, they're all they're also KTM yeah. family. It's just so stupid. It's like sometimes you just gotta step back and be like, oh, this is this is the dumbest thing, <laughs> and to think that they won't be seen. To think that they would get away with it. I mean, it's another thing to 
sneak into a garage at midnight and disconnect the brake line like some comedy film. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. It just reminds us that real life is always stupider than scripts. <laughs> it's not, it's never like, a, it, it's never like this huge plan. It's just two people being like, you know, it would be funny. Let's go mess with this bike in front of everybody. Yeah, sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. My first thought was like, oh, they've not noticed that someone in the Tech 3 garage had their phone out to record it. And then Dorna released a video. There was a MotoGP cameraman on the other <laughs> side of them. Like, come on, guys. Like, oh, my God. It's, it's just, it's, yeah. Genuinely, I gave them the benefit of the doubt for as long as I could on social media afterwards. And it's because I didn't think anyone was so stupid to have done that with two cameras pointing at them and rolling. I, I Like, that's... <laughs> Come on. Yeah. And, and and a lot of social media chatter, and we have to be careful with that, Val Simon, yeah. was, oh, well, the mechanics, they didn't just go and do their own thing. It would have come from above, and the team management would have known, and the vibe in the garage, they would have known to, to beetle off down pit lane. It's like, no. No, 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 no. They, they obviously convinced themselves after one too many Thavethas the night before that they could get away with it. I mean, uh, and by the way, they just to reiterate to people who don't necessarily know, they've had a 2,000 euro fine. The mechanics, not the team. To the mechanics, yeah. And they've got a two-race ban, but it won't be at this weekend at Mategi, nor in Thailand, because it's too late to replace somebody. It, it took it took 10 weeks to get visas for everyone yeah, for but, Japan. So they will still be in the Japan pit lane. I mean... I I tweeted, I said, I would send them home and I would cancel their hotel rooms before they got there. I just, Toby, I just, I love the idea of this being like this huge conspiracy. Max Biaggi sitting in his chair, stroking his white, white cat. cat, like the Bond villain and going, okay, here's what you do. In broad daylight, you go and you mess with Adrian Fernandez's bike specifically yes. Adrian Fernandez, target him. Yeah. He's our big threat. Going after Adrian Fernandez here. I love it. Although to be fair, to be fair to, to Fernandez, he came out of it smell of roses because he finished in fifth. It's his best yeah, ever, but a three result really by a long way in the race on Sunday. But um, it's not just the the two surfaces and a dumb idea uh, theory, Toby. Um, the Fernandez brothers, perhaps unsurprisingly, have a reputation as being difficult to work with. I couldn't possibly comment. Um, other teams. Other teams who I rate very highly have not enjoyed their time working with them. And Adrian Fernandez was in Max Racing last year on the same side of the garage as those two mechanics. So there's no conspiracy. There, there's no, you know, um that to the team manager there, uh Peter Ottle, is one of the one of the sanest, calmest people in the paddock. There is no way on earth that um that he orchestrated that. And I don't think Max Biagi is a good enough actor to have the amount of anger that he had whenever I spoke to him or the amount of sheer embarrassment he had in the Aprilia hospitality suite later that night, whenever everyone at Aprilia was coming to take the piss out of him for it, um, to have orchestrated that. Yeah, that, that that was two idiots doing an idiotic thing. In front of two cameras. Board. Now let's get that, let's get that straight. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> Do you not think that while Max was stroking his cat, he would have said, and remember, no cameras. And, and remember, get it on camera so that everybody thinks this was your idea. What a, what a, I love this. This is, yeah. this is the one time I'm actually really tempted to dispose of Hanlon's razor, which says don't attribute to malice, which can be adequately explained by stupidity. And actually just push the whole, this is a wide ranging conspiracy against Adrian Fernandez to stop him from winning the Moto3 title. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Adrian Fernandez. This is very mean on my part. Okay, right. Simon's got to go because he's in Barcelona airport and he needs to get some breakfast because he's got a busy week because he's got to get himself to uh, Mategi. Just take us through your flight plan. Yeah, so um, everyone, will, uh, you guys will have seen me just like randomly waving um, on now and then through the podcast and it's because half the MotoGP paddock are in the lounge and wandering past. Um, Jorge Martin has just wandered past. Frankie Carchetti has just wandered past. And uh, William Favreau, Director of Communications at Yamaha, is just staring at me, wondering what I'm doing in a meeting room with a microphone at this minute. Um, so, yeah, we go Barcelona, Helsinki, two and a half hours in Helsinki, hopefully into Mategi, into uh, Narita and Tokyo. 
assuming we don't get caught up in the super typhoon that's currently hitting Japan with estimated 500 milliliters of rain in a day and 250 kilometer an hour winds. So, 250, um, that's 150 miles an hour. 250. Um, an unprecedented meteorological event, according to Reuters News this that morning. That might just ruffle yeah. your hairstyle. Uh, I'm less concerned about my hairstyle and more concerned about MotoGP's freight arriving in time for first yeah. practice on Friday afternoon. Remember, not Friday morning because the schedule is already so tight. Um, but if boxes have trouble landing in Japan, there is a very faint possibility that we have a very big problem this weekend. Um, I'm not sure who would benefit the most from potentially losing a round off this year's calendar at this Lose point. Losing a round? Oh, I, I didn't have that in the plan. Oh, yeah. I just thought, oh, yeah. oh, well, we'll have a Saturday afternoon and go. It depends when things arrive. But, but you know, I think MotoGP Freight is not going to be a priority in Japan this week given what yeah. they're expected to be facing in and terms rightly of so. yeah, and rightly so yeah. um in terms of, of civil planning that it's not we're not there yeah so let's let's just see what happens um like i say right now it does seem quite faint uh because the storm is due to dissipate by sort of wednesday afternoon thursday morning but uh depends how much damage it does on the way to us unfortunately Okay, well, safe trip. Uh, don't forget for you, the listeners, to send in your voice messages to podcasts at the-race.com and then we can line them all up and we can have a conversation starter. Keep in touch with the-race.com for all of your Formula One, MotoGP news. Check out our YouTube channel as well. 14 down... 15 down, sorry. Five to go. 15 down, five to go. We've got Mategi this weekend. Thailand, Phillip Island, Sepang and Valencia. Quattararo leads the championship by 10 points ahead of Paco Banyaya. 17 ahead of Alicia Spargaro. It certainly looks like it's going to be a showdown come Valencia. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.